All right, so we'll start here in Romans 8. Uh, you're welcome to follow along in your Bible if you've got one or on your phone. I'm going to put it on the screen too, and I'll read it. So you're going to get inundated here with it. So uh, last week we did make it all the way to verse 30, but I wanted to step back to verse 29. And so we'll start in verse 29 and read 29 and 30, and then I'll read on the rest of the passage. So Paul says this. He says, For those whom he, speaking of God, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So then we move into verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there you can kind of get that sense that Paul is bringing us to this conclusion that he's built to that. And now last week we talked about predestination and free will. And so for those of you who are here again, thank you for coming back. <laughs> I know that's a challenging subject. Like we said last week, it's been debated from, for centuries and centuries. But we talked about last week how we can really have an understanding and acceptance of how those two things are working together if we can accept God for who He is instead of trying to put our boundaries and our failings and our weaknesses around Him. Especially when we realize how big and great and awesome and mighty God is. And so I thought today I'd start with just a few more thoughts about that because I think it really leads us in to this climax of Romans 8. And so I want to start with an illustration. Now, some people, when they talk about predestination and free will, they like to use the illustration of a coin. And they say those two things are, are two sides of the coin. And I go, yeah, that's one way of thinking about it. But I thought of another example. And maybe this is terrible. I don't know. But I'm putting it up here for you so you can look at it. And I don't know. you got my bad clip art. But that, you go, what is that? It's like we're looking down at the axle of a car with the two tires. Right? You can see that. There's the two tires, one on each side. So you have two tires and an axle. And one of those tires, one of those wheels is freedom, free will, and the other is determination or predestination. Now, if those things aren't connected, like if you think about a car, right, and you've got two wheels, and they're not connected, and you just have one, what's going to happen to the one that just sort of runs by itself? It's just going to kind of wander off, right? And so if freedom just sort of wanders off by itself, we end up in this place where we go, ha, I have power over God, 
right? It's this idea that, hey, <coughs> you know, I, I, I'm free. I have the freedom to choose or not choose. And so, hey, look, God has given me the power to choose or not choose. So I have choice over whether this is going on. And now I have some power over God. And that's just wandering off into a place we know that's not true because God, by definition, is all-powerful. And so there's no way we can have some power over him. So it kind of wanders off. Now then, on the other hand, we've got predestination or determination. And that wanders off into a place where we go, oh, God is in control and God knows everything and God has just chosen us and we don't have any choice and you end up in this place where you go, I am a robot. (laughs) Right? And so these things wander off if they're not connected. And so what is it that connects them together? Well, I think the answer and what Paul is pointing us to here in Romans 8 is love. It is love that's connecting us together because God loves you so much. God is so big and so great and he loves you and he loves me individually so much. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants so much to have relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be a robot. He wants to give you the freedom to choose him. And so he's given you that choice because he wants relationship. And yet, on the other hand, he loves you so much, he's all-powerful. And he's all-powerful, he loves you so much, he chooses you. And so these two things work together. And the result is, I have a loving relationship with an all-powerful God. And we get to go down the road and we move down through life and understanding this. And love is the axle that holds it together. And these work together, not just because God loves us, but as we saw last week from 1 John chapter 4, God is love. God is love. He's not just loving He is love. And so when we understand that and we go look at Romans 8.28, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so the way these two things can work together is because God is love and all-powerful. It can all work together. It can all roll down the road. I love this quote from theologian Peter Kreeft. He says, if love and power were not one, if we didn't have that axle, we would have the classic standoff, an unending conflict between the two. Once you see the center, which is love, once you see love, everything else falls into place. And so that's what Paul is leading us to, is God's love. God's love is the center. And so based on this radical, amazing principle, Paul sort of launches into this section, this last section of Romans 8, and he says, let's ask some questions. I know you got doubts, and you're going to start asking these questions, so I'll ask them for you and kind of beat you to the punch. So let's go through these questions that he asks, our doubting questions. He goes, what should we say to these things? Wow, all this has gone on, as we've seen, as he's built through Romans, all of these great characters and qualities of God that builds up, and we know, wow, God is loving, and he says, what should we say to these things? Another way we might phrase this would be, how should we respond to God's greatness? How should we respond to God's greatness? Now, interestingly, in this question, Paul doesn't answer it directly, does he? He doesn't say, what should we say? We should say this. Because this is like a rhetorical question where the answer probably should be pretty obvious. 
right? And I think it's probably pretty obvious for us because we all understand. We know what to do when something good happens, right? Because every single one of us, unless you're a really rude, really self-centered person, you go through your life and you say thank you all day long, don't you? And the person, you're walking down the street and, you know, you say, oh, excuse me, oh, thank you, right? Or you go to the store and they give you the change, oh, thank you. Or the guy comes and, and fixes the, your clogged sink and you say to the plumber, oh, thank you. And you go, why are you even saying thank you to these people? It's their job. Well, because you go, wow, I really appreciate what you've done. And so we look at God and we go, wow, God has done all these things and he loves me so much. What should my response be? To love him back. To love him back. So that's the answer. What should we say? I love you. That's how we answer that question. The second question he asks is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Again, that's a rhetorical question because in some ways I think we can step back and we can say, well, people are going to oppose me. I'm going to have faith, but people are going to oppose me. And I don't think that's what Paul is necessarily talking about because we know people will have opposition to us. What he's really saying is, well, can anybody come and step between you and God? Is anyone going to get between you and God's love? And we're going to talk about more about that in a few minutes. But of course, the answer to this question, who can be against us? The answer is very simple. No one. No one can be against us. A third question Paul asks, he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We've talked about this before. How do we know God loves us at the maximum level? Right? God loves us at the maximum level. He can't love us more. It's at the max. It's like pegged out at the ceiling. Why? Because he gave up his son to die for you and for me. I've used that illustration many times. I might die if someone came in here and wanted to kill you. I might die in your place. But I tell you what, I got those four sons on the screen. I'm not giving up a single one of them to die for you. Because I can't love you. I don't, I don't think I can summon that love in my heart. But God did. And God has. And so God loves you at the maximum level because he let your, his son die in your place. And so if you think about it, if God loves you at that maximum level and he's displayed it that way, isn't he going to display it in all other kind of arenas and areas of your life? Yes, he will. Because he loves you at the maximum level. Doesn't it mean God will never abandon you? God will never forsake you? Yeah, he never will. So the answer to that is, yeah, he will graciously give you all things. Because he loves you at the maximum level. Next question Paul asks, he says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Let's remember what justification is. I know that can be a big sort of theological word. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Justification just means new birth. And it's different from sanctification. Sanctification means ongoing growth. So when you receive the free gift of salvation, you are justified. God justifies you. Justification happens in a moment while sanctification goes on for life. Romans 5.1 tells us, Since we've been justified by faith... We've been justified. We've been saved. We receive that free gift. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. You want to have peace with God? You get justified by receiving the free gift of salvation. So God chooses to justify us. 
He chooses to do that. We might receive it, but he's the one who chose to make it happen. We didn't have any power over that happening. And so he loves us, and in his power, he's chosen us. Right? we got the two wheels and the axle, and it's going down the road. And so in this case, nobody can make any form of accusation against us, right? We can have this doubt and we can be like, well, maybe I could stand up there and have like a really good defense attorney and he'd come and he'd say, oh yeah, that guy or that gal, you know, God, you know, you you know what they did. That's a terrible thing. And they sort of lay bare your life and the horrible thing or things that you've done. It doesn't matter because God already knows. And God, even knowing that, chose to justify you. He chose to offer you that opportunity for the free gift of salvation. So nobody can bring a charge against you because God's just like, I already knew about that. And I chose to justify him anyway. I chose to give my son in his place despite how terrible he is. There's no presentation of evidence because God already knows. No one can charge us with any crime or any sin that isn't covered by his forgiveness. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Paul says, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so think about that. If God's Son... God himself, part of the Trinity, right? God's son is standing there and going, nope, I'm good with this person. I'm good with him. I'm good with her. They're all right. I'll intercede in their place. Then what possibly could somebody point out that would cast us out of God's love? Nothing. Nothing could cast us out of God's love. So what is all this leading to? I think Paul is leading us to this. And I can summarize it right here. The one point I think Paul is making is this. God's love is everlasting. God's love is everlasting. And this means it has no end, right? And we get that. Of course we get that. You ever listen to popular music? Oh, love without end, love everlasting, right? And it's this idea of, oh, you love someone, and it goes on and on and on. And we we sort of get that, that idea of, oh, love has no end. But I think God's love is bigger than that. Because I think God's love has no beginning. God's love has no beginning because God is outside of time. God is outside of space. And it's so hard for us to grasp, right? It's so hard for us to grasp what love, not having a beginning, right? I went and dug through my photo files and I found this picture. A couple of youngsters. This is the oldest picture I could find of Christine and I. And we were definitely in love at this point, and I don't know, we started being in love probably before that, but the feel is, right, and some of you youngsters who never had, you know, you can tell this is not a digital photo, but some of you youngsters who've never known anything but digital photos, you could probably go back into your digital files and go back, and at some point, you would reach a point in your life where you would go, there's no pictures of that person I love. Because maybe I didn't know that person yet. And so you can't say, oh, I had that love for that person. So there was a beginning. So with my wife and I, there was a beginning. I don't know if we could point to a day or a time, but clearly there was a time where there was not love, and then there was love. Right? And we go, yeah, it goes on forever, or as long as we live, or however it works, right? But there was no beginning. But God is outside of space and time. 
Right? We see that in a couple of verses. The first verse of Genesis 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If God was there at our beginnings, if He was there at the beginning of the universe of the creation, then He's always been. And He was always there. So we understand if God is love, and God loves you, and God has always been, then God has always loved you, unless we just think, oh, that's a nice concept. He says it himself in Malachi 1, I have always loved you. And when God says always, he doesn't mean, oh, just since you received the free gift of salvation, or just since you were five years old, or just since you were born, always. To God means always. Love without end, love without beginning. That's how big God's love is. So when you think about that, do you see how maybe the idea of predestination maybe isn't so confusing? Because God has always loved you. He's always loved you because he's always known, because he's all-powerful and all-knowing and outside of time and space. 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. God has always loved you. And so Paul brings this first eight chapters of Romans to this beautiful climax, and he asks one more question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you look in the message translation, it says, Who shall drive a wedge between you and Christ? You guys can all probably think of examples in your life of people who have gone, and whether advertently or inadvertently, have tried to drive wedges between you and somebody you loved. Right? You can all think of that. I can think of examples in my own life. But of course the answer to this is, who can, who can drive a wedge? Well, nobody can. Right? Let's put it all together. God's love for you has no beginning and no end. God, God's love gives you that freedom to choose Him. God's love selects you from beyond the boundaries of time. And God's love is maximum. He gave His Son to justify you. And therefore, it's all about the love of Christ. That is at the center Nothing on earth, nothing on earth can separate us, can drive a wedge between us and God. And as if to emphasize this, Paul goes on and he starts to give us examples to answer that question. Is God's love really great? Right? Because we walk through life and the universe is broken and we have all of these challenges and we go... Oh, in the midst of this, is God, does God really love me? And Paul just hits them all right here, right? He says, tribulation. You know, difficult things that come from the outside of us. Difficult things. They could be illness. They could be accidents. It could be all that sort of stuff. Things from the outside. Does that mean God doesn't have, God's love isn't great? No. What about distress? Difficult things on the inside. Maybe we've got disorders or fears or perceptions or hardships or heartaches. Can those separate us from God's love? No. What about persecution? When others trouble you about your faith, you can go, ah, does God really love me? Yes, God really loves you. Famine. Maybe not necessarily being without food all the time, but when circumstances dictated that we go without the things we need. 
God really love me? Yeah, God still loves you. Nakedness, what about when circumstances expose us to shame or to ridicule? Does God still love me? Yes, God still loves me. What about danger? When we face peril from the world, maybe that's storms, maybe that's disasters, maybe that's challenges. What about sword? When we face peril from other people, it could be crime, it could be terrorism, it could be war, it could be all those kind of things. Can any of those things, although in our heart they might cause us to say, man, is God's love really great? Paul's saying, yes. You can't be delaminated from God's love. You can't be delaminated from God's love. The brokenness of the universe can't beat God's love. And we might ask those questions. God must not love me because this suffering has come upon me. Maybe I've never received God's love because of how hard and terrible this is. I just don't have enough faith to make things go right. We can ask those questions. But the answer is, God loves you. God's love is unbreakable, unshakable, and unstoppable. And so Paul goes from here and he gives a big finish to what some have called the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And so let's walk through what he says one at a time. One phrase, sometimes one word at a time. He starts and he says, no, in all these things. And what are all these things? All these hardships, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In all of these things, these hardships, we. Well, who is we? Just anybody? No, not not anybody. Those who are believers. Those who have received the free gift of salvation. We are more than conquerors. Why didn't he just say, we are conquerors? Ever thought of that? Why does he say more than conquerors? Well, I think it's this. When somebody, an army, would go in, or a nation would go in and conquer another nation, they'd be like, woo, we defeated it, but then what? They had to defend the place they conquered. Right? We can think of that sort of, even in modern sort of, maybe less serious terms of sports. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Sorry, Patriot fan. <laughs> they won the Super Bowl. We go, oh, they were the conquerors. But now what do they do starting this next season? They've got to defend the title. And they might not get it. But Paul is saying, we are more than conquerors. So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means you permanently won. That's it. You don't have to defend the title. You might not slip off the mountain. You might not lose the city or the territory. Nope. You've got it. You are more than a conqueror. You are a permanent champion. He says, through him who loved us. Who? Through Jesus who loved us. Jesus and his love. There it is, right at the center. Paul goes on and he says, For I am sure, I am sure, to be sure is to be absolutely, positively, unshakably certain about God's love for you. Absolutely, positively, unshakably certain. And he says, I am sure that... Now he goes into all these things. Neither death. Being dead won't keep me away. Nor life. You know what? I just want to die and be with God. But being alive, you know what? That doesn't keep me away from God's love either. Being dead or being alive, neither one is going to separate me from God. Nor angels. Well, there's something going on in the spiritual realm there. These spiritual beings that seem to have more power than me, they can't separate me from God's love. 
nor rulers. Well, there's all these people in the world and all these people who've got authority over me from the government to this and that. I was talking to Julie about those authorities in China. They don't have power. They can't separate us from the love of God. Or things present. You might be facing trials right now in your life. That trial you're facing right now can't separate you from God's love. And guess what? The ones that are going to come, nor things to come, those trials that are coming into your life this afternoon or tomorrow or next week or next year, those can't separate you from God's love. Nor powers. There's a spiritual realm and there's an enemy out there. And guess what? That enemy's job, he wants to drive a wedge between you and God, but he cannot take you away from God's love can't make God stop loving you. Nor height. Think of the most insurmountable, highest mountain that's possible. That can't separate you from God's love. Nor depth or the biggest unfathomable chasm that you can't get over, that's impassable. Nothing else. Nor anything else in all creation. Anything you could possibly think of. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Not now, not ever. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That axle that holds it all together. And where is that love expressed? It's expressed at the maximum level in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, the maximum level himself. Amen? Now, Paul says all of that. We go, wow, that is pretty amazing. And I hope you grasp that concept that, wow, God's love is big and I can't be separated from God's love. But that doesn't mean we just have it and we're all just covered and we're all just good. Because we go back to it and we go, you know what? We're not robots. He doesn't just say, okay, here's my love and you just have it and I'll just justify you. No. He wants relationship. God has called us to be in relationship with Him. He's given us the opportunity to choose Him. And so Paul says, we are more than conquerors. Again, who is we? We is anyone who's received that free gift. And to receive that free gift is to believe. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the only way to be separated from God's love is by your own choice to reject that free gift. That's the only way. Once you receive that free gift, you can't be separated. But if you haven't received that free gift, you are separated, and you will be separated. And that's the gospel, the good news. The good news is that you can be saved. You can be free. You can have God's love. You can be, like Paul says, you can be one of those conquerors, one of those who's more than conquerors, those permanent champions who goes, I am laminated to God's love and it's never going away from me. What did Jesus say? How do you do that? Believe. Believe. And to believe, you say, yeah, I believe in my heart that God, that he sent Jesus and Jesus is standing in my place. I've sinned, and that sin separates me from God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. 
He died on that cross, and then he came back to life, and in that process, he satisfied the demands of justice, the penalty for my sin, and offers it to me as a free gift, and all I have to do is reach out and receive it. And then you'll be justified. And so maybe today you're here, and I don't know where everybody is at today. Maybe you're here today and you go, yeah, this sounds really great and I really want God's love, but I've never received that free gift. Well, now is your chance. And so we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and pray here. And I'm going to give you the opportunity right here this morning. I just think it's really appropriate here at this, this climax of what some call the greatest chapter of the Bible. That's the greatest message and the greatest gift is that God is ready to justify you and he's given you the opportunity and he's called out to you and all you have to do is receive it. And so there on the screen there's even just a very simple prayer that you could pray. And we'll just all pray together with every head bowed and all the eyes closed. God, uh, God we thank you <clears throat> that you've offered the gift of salvation in your son Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that it is a free gift and it is the maximum expression of your maximum love for us. And God, when we look at life and we look at all of the hardship and the tribulation, the persecution and the the famine and the nakedness and the sword and all of those things, God, we know that if we have your love in our life, you've given us the power to walk through it and to walk into eternity. God, if there's any here today who have never received that free gift, Lord, here's an opportunity. And you could just pray, hear that prayer on the screen and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. I now invite you to come into my heart and life as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, as some may pray that, Lord, if, if that's all it takes. And it's not about the gift, the the, the prayer or, or the words. It's about receiving the gift. God, thank you that you offer that gift. And that gift is a justification. That justification means we have your love and your love is with us and laminated to us for the rest of our lives. God, thank you that we can walk through all of those trials because you walk with us and because you love us and that nothing can separate us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.